Hi, I'm Stephanie Morris, and this is Quarantine Cocktail Hour. Hi, and welcome back. Today, I speak to my friend Brock. Brock is originally from Melbourne, Australia, but has been spending the last few years living and working in Hong Kong. Living in Hong Kong, Brock is no stranger to protests and tear gas. So in this episode, we touch on those topics, as well as how to cook the perfect vegan chicken wing, the Chinese Communist Party, and how COVID is affecting life in Hong Kong. Brock has a dreamy accent, but we really do touch on some great points. So don't get lost in that accent, and let's get to it. <laughs> so, welcome to Quarantine Cocktail Hour, and I'm here with my awesome friend, Aussie friend, uh, Brock. And good day. Uh, let me introduce himself. Where are you? Where are you, where are you coming from? Yeah. Good day, guys. Um, <laughs> this is not actually how thick my accent is. I have a uh, a somewhat English affected Australian accent, which you'll now have the pleasure of listening to. Uh, hail from Australia and uh, currently in Hong Kong, working in uh, supply chain for all the major brands and retailers of this world, making sure. They're producing safe and compliant product. And in the meantime, finding out a lot of the dirt on all of these companies and a lot of the governments and a lot of the, uh, the uh, greenwashing and everything that occurs to, uh, to cover up what's really going on in, in the supply chain in the world. When you buy a product, what are you really sponsoring, Stephanie? What, I don't what are you voting for with your dollar? It's going to deep dive <laughs> and it's going to get dark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, uh, my last episode was pretty dark. We talked a lot about what was going on with George, George Floyd. And oh, yes. just, so that was super uplifting. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, 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 I, my, my conversation around that today was uh, obviously because I try to keep trim, taut and terrific and physically well. And I chose a couple years ago to uh, start engaging in a sport of CrossFit and then as of uh, as of the end of last week, um, the CEO of Cross of CrossFit um, has been uh, basically, I'd say, outed as an absolute cunt. And uh, I, I understand that it was only one tweet that he got got uh, most of the negative attention for. But I understood from from uh, former and current employees that he's also quite a CUNT in general about race relations. Um, so I learned today that it wasn't just one mistake of a tweet. It's a little bit of a, his character. And uh, and Reebok have dropped CrossFit completely as a partner. Wow. Just cut it out like cancer instantly. Wow. Um, a lot of the, uh, you know, so that means the shoes, the apparel, um, the sponsorship of the CrossFit Games, everything that Reebok backed them for, dropped them like a bad habit. 
Maybe. And a lot of athletes are backing out. A lot of the, you know, um, affiliates and everything are, are sort of moving away from, from CrossFit. And, uh, yeah, it's a kind of uh, unusual time for that particular fitness industry. But I mm -hmm. think it's well warranted. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, um, there's another brand. Uh, do you know Dolls Kill? It's sort of, like, gothy, um, run by a white woman. Dolls Kill? Uh, so it's another, I like... Brand, I, another brand. I don't, but I think I think I I, I, I touched on some. I, I, I read something about the backlash about. Yeah, because she had T-shirts saying "white" or "goth is white." Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, and she was. And like, then the, the whole thing is like like goth music comes from punk, which comes from rock and roll, which comes from blues, which comes from black people you got it <laughs> everything really is rooted always in like african-american roots anything to do with music okay. really so i mean and and really fashion um but Absolutely. she she went on this rant about how you know it was just the brand that we were carrying and it didn't mean that and like instead of just apologizing which is what most people what does she doing, mean what does she mean does she yeah. quite, what does she mean yeah, it's a, it's a brand that she carried from somebody else. Like she didn't make the shirt, so it's like not her fault. And this is and like so typical white women. Why, like, did it was it quite literally relating to white, as in white complexion, or is it like what 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 was it a racial know. thing from the beginning? Like, what? How does it that get printed on the T-shirt? I know, right? Stupid idiot. And she, instead of just apologizing and saying, you know, like we did wrong, like most of the companies are doing, she was like backtracking. It wasn't my fault. I didn't know. And like all this bullshit, just like fucking say you're sorry mm. and move on because nobody yeah. needs like white people talking more and more and more about race. Like it's not really our conversation yeah. right now. We just need to be listening and telling everybody that obviously we support black lives matter. But I mean, like in, in terms of like talking and talking and talking about it, like I think, that we need to I'm impressed that she thought she could talk her way out of that right? situation. <laughs> God, anyway. Anyway, fuck all of that. Um, let's get into a little bit of questions here. Um, let's start with, like, what's going on in Hong Kong right now? I know that that's yeah. uh, the beginning of the year, obviously started off really difficult as well because like last year um the protests were going on uh protesting the extradition bill that was going to yeah. be brought from china that was going to be saying that anything that happens <laughs> uh, in hong kong uh, that de that is deemed uh, not just by china um mm. those people can now be extradited to back to mainland to be basically murdered um so that yeah. didn't happen thank goodness but when you when all that was happening were you protesting were you out uh, i did see a couple pictures uh what did that look like in Hong Kong then. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was really almost hard to not be within or at least near or within stone's throw of the protests. Um, they were occupying most of the Hong Kong island in areas that you would go on a daily basis, that people work, that people go for drinks, restaurants, go for walks. Um, the government building in Hong Kong is right on the waterfront. It parks, you know, all the police stations that uh, become the targets um, for, for some of the more violent um, demonstrations tend to be around, you know, uh, areas of, of, of dense population. So, I mean, near my office, there's a police station near probably where most people live, there's a police station. And it's funny because I was, well, it's not funny, it's kind of dark, but I was, I was, I was, I was driving around the other day in a cab and I was noticing every police station in Hong Kong is 
built like a fort. It's fortified. And I don't know if this is since like the late 1960s, like 1967, 89, uh, Hong Kong had uh, very large scale riots. Um, and I don't know if at that time the police stations were fortified, but I think probably it's a bit of a hangover from that period. But quite literally, every building in Hong Kong is heavily fortified. Huge stone wall, you know, spikes like out of the Middle Ages. Um, they even have like turrets and little slits. It honestly looks like something out of the Middle Ages. And I just think like back in Australia, on, you know, in Canada, everything, the police station looks like a, a government building. You know, it's just a glass sliding with a little, like, you know, garden out the front. And, you know, if you wanted to put a break through the window, you probably really easily could. Absolutely. And, and, and it just got me thinking, if, if, if there was ever the, um, the thought in, in, in the Hong Kong police forces' mind that they were for the people, their building betrays that fucking thought instantly. hundred percent. There is so much, so much fortification around these buildings. So, I mean, that really, that really speaks to what I think is the intrinsic attitude of the Hong Kong police force um, has been throughout history. Um, you know, there's, there's always been a connection between Hong Kong police force and triads um, during the 1960s, 70s, 80s. It got out of hand during the 80s. They established the uh, ICAC, which is the Independent Commission Against Corruption which was supposed to weed out a lot of the, um, the triads that were embedded very senior in the police force. Um, and the ICAC is basically um, tasked with uh, investigating corruption, whether it's, you know, through gambling, jockey club, government, police force. But of course, nowadays, that's a highly bureaucratic society uh, uh, institution as well. Um, and they can't be really... Um, tasked to be impartial anymore and all the, the inquiries into police activity in Hong Kong is investigated by the police uh, internal investigation. You're sort of like, really, you're investigating yourself. Of course, you're not going to fucking find anything. So it's, it's pretty scary. I mean, it, it like I got tear gassed um, a couple of times. Um, one, oh I was God. I was literally just at a bar and uh, I walked out of the bar just to get fresh air and I was like, somebody's cooking some fucking spicy ribs because my eyes are fucking, but like, I was looking around, there was a couple like restaurants with, you know, like a barbecue restaurant. And I'm like, shit, those spicy ribs are going to have someone, you know, shitting through the eye of a needle tomorrow. That's, that's sad. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then I'm like, fuck, is that, is that spicy Rob? Like, you know, I was like, right my eyes. And then I, and then I look down the street and I see like kids running, kids running, kids running. And I'm like, oh, and then I see the riot police running and you start to hear the whoop of the uh, tear gas and then I was like fuck guys we're getting fucking tear gassed and that shit is wild um, but yeah I, 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 I've been to a few of the, the, the peaceful protests early on um, at the end of 2019 um, and really it's it's the how sustained this protesting is 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 unprecedented it's really People in Hong Kong feel like this is our last fucking chance. Yeah. You know, they had protests back around 2014 with the Umbrella Movement. They kind of experienced like a, a protest fatigue. Um, the difference there was that the protests were uh, led um, in 
with certain factions by you know known leaders they had uh, distinct leaders they had distinct spokespeople and it was quite organized um but what happened was that enabled the police and the government to just dismantle those protests because they were organized they had kind of hierarchy you know they had um pro-democracy um uh political activists and also politicians and uh stakeholders in the community but as soon as they started targeting those people putting them in jail and arresting them and everything kind of fell apart and everyone got a bit of protest fatigue but now it's sort of decentralized you know there's no particular person that's leading it everyone feels like they are the cause themselves and it's just it's been pretty much now a fucking year i'm pretty i think we have like the one year anniversaries of of, of that like million strong march before yeah i think so too yeah so yeah because i remember yeah. I remember seeing it last summer, I think, right? I was living in Kotao and I had just left China and I like the year before and then it was like all popping off in Hong Kong and I had like just yes. gotten out of it. Yeah, it's yes, crazy shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah, pretty much this time last year, right? Yeah, I think so. And there yeah. is no sign that this is slowing down. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. So do you think that um I mean looking at what's happening in America and um, sort of comparing it to what has been happening or what's going on in Hong Kong, are you seeing any parallels between the protests or peaceful protests or um, are you seeing any parallels between the police departments of Hong Kong? And yeah. Yeah. I actually, I actually, um, the, the fact that the uh, police budget in the U S has been um, extended to things that are kind of like military, um, you know, vehicles, equipment, um, that's, you know, that's a, that's a pretty scary parallel. Um, I would say that what I'm seeing now happening in the U S you know, particularly even with the, um, the army reserves or whatever you guys call them, um, I think you know, the, weekend, the, the weekend warrior soldiers, you know, <laughs> um, going in there with all their fucking equipment um, yeah. that's, that's, that's scarily reminiscent of what's going on here. And then, you know, I think, um, in terms of the military involvement, uh, in, in, in Hong Kong, it might not be obvious. It might look like all Hong Kong police, but the Hong Kong police are being supported by the people liberation army. There are police people that don't know anything about Hong Kong because they're literally from fucking Dongguan, Guangzhou, like Guangdong region, PLA. So the army is here and they are in Hong Kong and they are fighting on the ground. They're just wearing Hong Kong police form uniforms mm-hmm. um, and they're using the same shit. They're using, um, you know, uh, tear gas. They're using rubber bullets. They're using now the pepper, the pepper bullets and stuff. Um, What's pepper I mean, bullets? It's like they, what they use in prison. It's a non-lethal round, um, but it shoots really quickly and like hurts like shit. And I think it's like, um, it kind of kicks up a bit of dust. Um, and uh, I, I was walking, I went to a, a, a friend's book signing launch last night in what is the most cosmopolitan part of Hong Kong, you know, where all the tourists go, where the central business district is, where all the foreigners live and everyone goes out. And I walked past, I didn't see any protesters, but I walked past about 60 police in full riot outfits with Jesus. their pepper things, with their, with, you know, they're all standing about like they're fucking marines you know what i mean my god arms the teeth you know dressed up to the bootstraps um and it's fucking intimidating and i walked i like i walked up to like a like to cross the road and there were no cars around and it was it was like a green light for the cars and i was like 
I'd usually jaywalk this, but I don't fucking want to today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> It like, was like, I'm, I'm not, not a big shot. road either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm not going to fucking push my luck in front of 60 military police onto the fucking team who yeah, had exactly. nothing better to do than just to, like, look around and intimidate people. Yep. Um, and I think it really is. It's just a fucking intimidation tactic. Yep. Um, and I, I do see... I think the most of the similarities um, between the two protesters have really been how heavily um, the government is clamping down on it and how... Um, unwilling to face those people um the governments are um which is kind of ironic because donald trump was quoted as saying um you know i believe that this situation could be solved if xi jinping just came in and and and, and face to face spoke to these people and it's like well okay take that turn it around why aren't you uh, facing the black lives matter movement why aren't you facing the people in the streets and why aren't you opening that dialogue you're doing the exact same fucking thing as just condemning from a distance. Yep. You not even I mean? that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also, not just condemning from a distance, he hid in a fucking bunker and turned <laughs> yeah, off all the I, fucking I, I, lights. No, guys, I was just inspecting it, though. <laughs> like, I was just inspecting what? the bunker. I was hiding right, it. Right, yeah. Just making sure it's okay. But like he, 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 he like turn off the lights like you're like hiding from a family member that you don't want to celebrate Christmas with. Like, okay, quick, turn off all the lights before Aunt Sally like knocks on the fucking door. Like you're hiding from a fucking nation, you yeah. idiot. Like what are you yeah. doing? Oh, yeah. it's just embarrassing. It's, abs ugh, it's, it's actually sickening. He is a piece of garbage. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's just so rich to see what foreign politicians have to comment on other countries when 100%. they are themselves not doing the same thing. I mean, Xi Jinping, let's chuck it around. Okay, we, Donald Trump, obviously hypocritical. Xi Jinping, he goes, uh, yes, uh, you know, we believe that the United States should uh, respect and, and uh, the rights and whatever of their ethnic groups. And it's like, okay, meanwhile, two million Uyghurs are in concentration camps in Xinjiang, you fucking cunt. Like, are yep. you serious? And, and it's, 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 it's like, and it, what's happening in Xinjiang is absolutely disgusting. I'm sure not a lot of people know about it because obviously China doesn't release no, any information. Yeah, yeah. no allowed to know about it. And if you talk no. about it in America, um, whatever company you work for gets the fucking China privilege pulled out. You know, any yep. Chinese investors in that company will pull their money out. Any manufacturing you're doing in China, they'll kick you out. They'll be like, fuck off. We don't want you to buy from us. Like yep. China has everyone by the balls. And if you try and talk about China, they'll start fucking squeezing. Yep, 100%. Thankfully, neither of us are that important, so fuck that and fuck Xi Jinping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the record, fuck the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> I, I also, for the record, fuck the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> just to, like, touch a little bit more on... No on, one like, realizes how genuinely dangerous that is. Yeah, I know, I know. It's fine. I'm in Canada, you're in Hong Kong. It's, like, not that yeah. bad. But um, touching a little bit more on what's happening in Xinjiang, because I don't think a lot of people do know what's mm. happening. There is an... Um, an eth eth ethnic group uh, called the Uyghurs. They are now basically in uh, concentration camps up in uh, Xinjiang in the, the northern China. And um, yeah, it's basically a fucking concentration camp where they're made it to is. work, they're stolen from their families, and they're re-educationed, or whatever the fuck you want to call that, into yeah, not being Muslim. Yep, yep. It is quite literally like gulag, um, yes. you know, Soviet era, it's fucking Germany Third Reich era policy yeah. on re-educating and, uh, you know, it's, it's fucking Mao Zedong era as well. Of yeah, it is, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's everything that we've seen in history that we have said this is the worst thing in history, it's yeah. happening again.
and it's yeah. like we are now history and what what you know what were your opinions of the people in history that you know everyone says oh you know it's uh you know the people driving the trains to Auschwitz. why why didn't they say anything and it's like you know what you're fucking now sitting in that fucking driver's seat and you're not doing shit well fucking said a hundred percent and like where are those protesters why are why are we not hearing more about that because it just gets lost and we're not allowed to talk about it because again like fucking china has everybody by the balls like it's not yeah and it's and it's like we saw exactly what happens during the um stand for hong kong you know hong kong protests where it's like any nba player that speaks out gets shut down immediately because the nba's largest revenue stream is you know, Chinese pro- Chinese consumers, the the camps, the business, the NBA in China is a religion. It's huge, so they're like, shut up, like shut the fuck up, don't mention it. If you're a corporate, like you know, if you're a corporation in America, you probably got some kind of manufacturing in China. You probably got some kind of Chinese money. Um, as a politician, you know, you you got to walk a, a tightrope. It's like you are quite literally unable to talk about it. Yep. And quite literally funding it, basically. Funding it. Oh, 100% funding it. And I think it's really, it's really kind of frustrating because these are voiceless people. These are people without freedom of press. They don't have social media. They don't have access to inside or outside information on what their situation is or what situation is out in the world. They're so controlled. You know, they're in such a controlled environment. Um, they have no democratic processes. Um, they, you know, they can't elect their leaders. They can't elect their local leaders. You know, what avenues do they have? They can't protest anything. So, you know, where, where does that leave them? You know, they're, they're, they're voiceless. So we have to be the voice for the voiceless. But then we, we can't because we have spineless politicians in Australia, all of our former prime ministers and all our foreign foreign ministers, all that kind of shit, they get cashed up because after they retire, they bring all these Chinese business people in. They're like, here's connections to all the politicians and all the property and all the this, that, and the other. They sell off the fucking country. You know, they like, they're spineless. They're spineless. Um, you know, they people are still throwing around the rhetoric that China is rising peacefully. And no, I, no. I used to hold on to that hope in university, you know, fucking 10 years ago. Um, and every single thing I've seen since then has just pointed to the contrary yep 100 percent. you said university where did you got uh where did you attend university oh yes so i went to uh the whitest university in melbourne um (laughs) (laughs) called deacon university because i guess we would call it a second tier university because uh (laughs) All, all, all the all the international students uh, they go to like the tier one universities like Melbourne. <laughs> Dummy. Right? So I went to like the whitest university ever. Um, studied yeah, international you... relations and Chinese language. Oh, and Chinese uh, language, amazing. Or, or as I like to say, interracial relations and Chinese language. Yeah. With a minor in beer drinking. <laughs> and when did you move to Hong Kong? Because I know that your family sort of was there together, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I did uh, a little bit of high school and a government school in Australia where I learned how to, uh, you know, defend myself on the streets. And then I uh, <laughs> moved to Hong Kong, quite literally. My brother went to a private school. He's older than me. And uh, he had this, like, fancy upbringing. My parents forgot to enroll me in his school because they thought it was, like, an automatic entry just because I'm his brother. And then I didn't get in because they were like, it's not automatic. You have to fucking enroll, like, years in advance. And so he went to a really posh school and I went to a school that cost $300 a year. 
amazing. Full of, full of all the kids that were kicked out of all the other schools. I'm like, this was my best. You're like this is what's up yeah these are my this people my yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. i didn't get here by getting kicked out of somewhere else <laughs> You're like this was my first choice actually <laughs> yeah i yeah. uh, fuck man i learned how to fucking take care of myself that's for sure I fucking uh, but then yeah moved to hong kong with family and then uh completed high school here um and then uh sort of that kicked off i guess the um my uh, relationship with, with China and Asia and, you know, ever, ever since graduating, I've been up and down since Australia, Melbourne, uh, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, um, working wow. around like retailers, uh, apparel retailers, um, and now working as a service provider um, to provide quality assurance and corporate social responsibility services to retailers because um, basically our behaviors of consumption are feeding very nasty things and i'm here to try and stop those nasty things from happening yes and i know that you speaking of like helping with nasty things i know that um i think it was last year in 2018 you did start you made using... that sound so hot though <laughs> thank you so much um speaking of nasty things oh. um we talked about uh um you know, you, I think it was 2018 that you started doing like hemp t-shirts. Yes. Yeah. This was a really cool idea. And I wanted to like touch a little bit more on um, hemp and yeah. cannabis and all that great stuff. Cause I know it's really, really different than it's treated really different than it is in um, obviously Canada, even America. Uh, Asia is like not so much for it. So yeah, let me know about your experiences um, with um, dealing with hemp and making t-shirts out there. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, my, the sort of beginning of my journey was when I spent a bit of time in China doing a startup which involved manufacturing and I thought this is kind of cool. So I went back to Melbourne, did a quick fashion designer technology course just to like familiarize myself with the ins and outs of uh, production. And I was kind of getting a little bit more sustainable in my thinking and I came I was like okay hemp is like things we've been talking about for years um where is it at now you know why don't we see it and what's really interesting is that the hemp that everyone kind of thinks about as being a little bit like potato sack um you know a little bit like a linen a little bit like hippie this is what you call like linen hemp this is what we've had for thousands and thousands of years you know we used to create sales from it you know the original levi's jeans were made from hemp we used to use it miners used to use it because it's durability it's strength um it has a long history um as a as a textile product from yeah. from europe to to asia so basically i was like okay where is it at now and there has been an actual development in hemp so the issue with hemp is that it's a it's a actually a bunch of fibers stuck together that creates the uh the what we think of as linen hemp um but there's actually new technology that is called degumming, and what it does is it strips all the wax and lignans from the fibers which are keeping them bundled together and it separates them and then you get a very cotton-like fiber and then that cotton-like fiber you can use on uh, existing cotton spinning machine and weaving machine and therefore you can very easily adapt a modern day mill to be fed hemp and produce quite soft quite fine products 
um, such as T-shirts, such as socks, such as, you know, jersey pants, terry toweling towels. Um, there's even a guy who, with a, a brand called Datsusara, who's quite famous in Brazilian jiu-jitsu world, the martial arts world, for making geese. Yeah. Um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu out of hemp. You know, I think Joe Rogan's even talked about these things. Joe Rogan even owns one and he loves cool. it. And awesome. it's more durable than all of the other ones that he's used, which are usually cotton. He says it's the only gi that hasn't ripped and he's used it for years. So that's like, boom. Awesome. Yeah, I remember. So, yeah. so basically, I discovered all this um, on my little uh, hemp journey. And I discovered that this degumming process was actually innovated in Australia um, by a gentleman called Adrian Clark. And he was working in Australia with the um, CSIRO, which is like a government research and development um, institution. And with the CSIRO and himself, he developed like this degumming technique, which means you can strip away all those waxes and everything from the hemp fiber to make this quote unquote cottonized fiber that you can use. Uh, he also developed a what he calls a decorticator, which is what you use in the field to harvest the hemp. Um, and uh, and separate the the fiber from the herd, and the herd is like the very hard wooden bit in the middle of hemp. Because the problem with harvesting hemp is that you often damage the fibers when you're cutting it, or when you're harvesting it, or when you're separating the fiber from the herd. But with degumming, you can remove it with minimal damage, um, and you can separate the fibers. So all this kind of stuff is quite new. But I'm sort of thinking, well, where is, why isn't this technology scaled and providing the world with a much needed natural fiber feedstock for the textile industry because cotton is fucking dirty. It requires tons of pesticides. It's thirsty as fuck. It's GMO as fuck. Um, mm. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's grown in a lot of places with dubious practices like uh, child labor and, and bonded labor. Um, it's just not great. And hemp is, um, it, it grows more densely per acre. Um, you, you can also, uh, rotate the crop uh, to make the soil better. You know, it doesn't deplete the soil so much. You can um, you can get a lot more bang for your buck. Um, I mean, you know, the plant, the, the, the hemp plant is incredible. It's the only plant that can provide every single thing for the human need. It can provide wood for, for building shelter. It can provide fiber for cloth. It can provide medicine as marijuana. It can provide seeds for food. Every, it's the only plant that can provide every single uh, need that a human has um, so we have a really like you know harmonious relationship with this plant and what was interesting is if you look around the world you realize like up until the mid of, of the 20th century we were actually using hemp a lot um, and what happened was the cotton as an industry in America has lobbyists you know these guys that push the fucking parcel in, in Washington to try and get businesses, uh, you know, favorable treatment from the government. And it was a time uh, post-war where the United Nations, uh, you know, was established and we all tried to come together to decide on global, you know, laws. And uh, a lot of that work was around restricted substances. You know, well, there are kind of drugs we should all get together and make sure don't you know, like heroin and cocaine and everything that we kind of right. all work together to, to, to make sure these are globally restricted. And if any country deals with them, they're considered a rogue narcotic state and sanctioned and they'll be sanctioned by the UN. So what did the cotton lobby do? They were like, okay, amazing. We're going to get industrial hemp out fucking like yeah. 
outcast as a class, whatever it was, drug. So they put a fucking silver bullet in the entire cotton in uh, hemp industry because they're like, this is not an industrial product. This is a drug. And of course, who fucking supports the cotton industry because it's so pesticide demanding or fucking Monsanto, you know, all that fucking roundup, all that roundup. Yeah. So basically silver bullet hemp dies. It's basically illegal to grow in every single country, even though industrial hemp is completely innocuous. It doesn't have enough, t- enough THC to get you high or have any psychoactive properties. Uh, it's a completely innocuous plant. As long as you don't cross pollinate it, it's not going to do its crazy stuff. So what is pretty much the only country in the world that was like, didn't really give a fuck about it. Hilariously, China. <laughs> Amazing. Because China's like, that fucking plant, we've been like randomly growing that in fields that we haven't given a shit about for like 7,000 years. Yep. <laughs> um, there's, there's like a, 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 a an old um, recount of very old Chinese culture in terms of like what were the early products and and. and and, and crops in Chinese culture, they call it their five grains. It was something like barley, sorghum, wheat, some shit like that. And they think actually one of the uh, five grains was actually hemp seed as well. So they think like, like hemp actually was like one of the very early um, important crops and seeds in Chinese culture. Um, and, you know, like if you go to Yunnan and all these kind of places, it kind of grows a little wild. People have their little fun with it, but it doesn't become a, you know, a big drug trade thing. It's just a, it's just a kind of, uh, it's, it's seen as, as, as natural. Um, so China has been growing that shit. They didn't really listen to the rest of the world. They're like, well, we don't, we're not going to sell it to anyone. We're just going to, just, it just grows. And we, and, and they actually, um, the biggest consumer of industrial hemp. So China's the biggest grower of industrial hemp. And then there's Brazil. Um, China pr- primarily produced it and sold it to the Chinese military to produce their uniforms. Wow. For two key reasons. One, it's a lot more durable, particularly when you're in like a wet environment, like a tropical environment. Um, So basically, you know, all the Southeast Asian countries they'd love to invade. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and India. And, um, and also when you, when you get shot wearing cannabis or wearing hemp, um, it's, it's cleaner. Um, it's, it's antimicrobial and cotton is quite dirty and it's got a lot of pesticides. So if you get shot, you get, um, like the microfibers and stuff, uh, will enter your wound. And if you're wearing cotton, you're a lot more likely to get an infection and die. Whereas hemp is seen as like quite clean. So that, uh, that's actually like quite advantageous, um, obviously in, in, in battle. So China, China's realized the benefits of hemp for years and they just low key kept growing it so they could low key keep using it in all their military outfits and uniforms and shit. But did they still use that in, in the uniforms? Um, it, they recently had a, um, purchase order, a really big purchase order for it. Um, they actually, um, got a lot of factories. This is my factory guy that was telling me this cause he works mm. with hemp have worked for hemp for years he got orders and his factory friends that work with hemp they got a lot of orders from the um from the government from the military to provide uh hemp underwear for this reason um but what happened last minute that budget got reallocated somewhere else and so all these factories in china produce a fuck ton of hemp underwear 
and then that's they started to try and sell it so all of a sudden you have like all these factories trying to trying to sell like western people hemp underwear and, uh, <laughs> and that was the reason why because all these factories made it the chinese government didn't buy it in the end and uh, obviously you don't argue with the chinese government and try and get your money no. back so, so that was a whole thing actually um so there are these factories yeah that kind of produce it and now they're seeing the western world is opening up to like sustainable apparel and like eco and all this kind of stuff and certain companies like h&m um you know when they released that conscious range that conscious capsule or whatever it was um they did start to use hemp i mean i think it was like 2006 2007 paris runway and all these like runway shows were using like sustainable materials hemp uh, all these blends on the runway there was huge statements about it but it's always there's never been follow-up there's never been like commercial buy-in there's never been buying from the consumer um i think two key issues is like one the way it's marketed people still think as hemp as this old hippy dippy shit and it's not cool or edgy it hasn't been like repackaged or remarketed or people haven't been re-educated about why it's actually fucking yeah. dope yeah um, i intended um and then the second thing <laughs> is that <laughs> The second thing is, is that there are kind of gaps in the supply. Um, mm. There's like varying quality of fiber coming from different growers um, because it hasn't been scaled up and, and invested in like a lot of other um, fibers like flax or cotton or, you know, wool. There's grading the fiber and making sure it's consistent from a quality perspective is challenging. And mm. when you've got a supply 150,000 pieces for H&M, that's a lot of fabric that's probably going to come from a lot of different uh, yarn uh, suppliers or, or fiber suppliers. So you're going to get inconsistent quality, which, you know, these kind of huge players just don't accept. Right, of course. Um, so the sort of supply side, it's been really chicken and the egg. You know, the suppliers are like, we need the big orders and then we'll grow and fulfill the orders. And then the, the buyers are like, well, we need the consistent quality. So yeah. we need you to figure that out. But, yeah. you know, pick in the egg, who fucking goes first? So yeah. it's kind of <laughs> been like on a large scale, it's just been really difficult for people to like bring this to scale. And then what happened was um, as soon as uh, people started becoming more interested in the seed for nutrition and then, you know, the oils um, for CBD or, or THC, Unfortunately, the fiber is the least profitable part of the plant. Right. So if you want to make money, sell the seed. If you want to make money, sell the oil, right? The fiber then is just like a byproduct. And unfortunately, when you let a cannabis plant go to seed, it naturally will have poor fiber quality because all the energy has gone into producing the seed. The fiber quality is no longer very good. And the same thing with, um, with, uh, with, with growing it for like CBD or bless you CBD or, uh, or, or medical reasons. So yeah. what really needs to be unlocked is how can you take the fiber as a byproduct of like seed production or CBD oil production and somehow extract quality fibers. Because at mm -hmm. that point, fiber will be cheap as shit. People will be giving the stalks away. So in terms of like the price, now hemp is expensive because it's rare. It's a bit more expensive to process. It can't really compete with, with cotton. But once this becomes, 
you know, a simple byproduct of all the profitable industries, you've got something that will almost be given to you for free because people don't want to keep the, the shitty byproduct. Um, yeah, I loved your shirts. Like you had made them, um, I think this is 2018, but like this is like when you were first doing this stuff. The shirts were so soft. They were so like yeah. durable. They were gorgeous. I loved them. I had, I think I had like three of them. They were yeah. awesome. I loved them. So I mean like, yeah, yeah I it, totally agree. That's like, yeah. it's, it's the perception of hemp is this like rough, shitty, difficult to work with, yeah. knobbly fabric is outdated. You know, it, we, we can make it um, to perform and look and feel like cotton. Um, 100%. And people, people actually, even though synthetics have certain beneficial uh, performance properties, people always feel, you know, appreciate a natural feel. 100%. Natural fibers will never be replaced, you know? Right, 100%, yeah. Uh, Great, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was cool. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, now that we've touched on so many awesome different topics, let's get down to quarantine talk. Because I know that you guys went into quarantine super early. Um, Hong Kong actually has, like, one of the, the lowest cases reported. Um, it somehow. looks like Hong Kong. Yeah, is that somehow. Surprise uh, to this day. Yeah, somehow you guys did a great job there. So I mean, like, when did you guys first go into quarantine? What did it look like? Um, I know that masks are a big thing in Hong Kong because I mean, like, even before all of this, everyone was sort of wearing masks anyway. And yeah. now we're sort of in Canada, North America, we're questioning the legitimacy if masks work. But I mean, like, clearly they fucking work. Seeing as Hong Kong wears masks and they have a very low, you know. Yes. of all of this. So yeah, tell me, when did you guys go into quarantine and what's it been like? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, like you said, I honestly thought that we were going to be one of the hardest hit regions. Um, one of the, we technically never went into lockdown, which is interesting. Um, what was really concerning was our government's uh, insistence on doing whatever Beijing wants. And Beijing didn't want to close the borders. So China wanted to stay as open to Hong Kong as possible. And we were even, I, I personally uh, have seen bits and pieces of information enough to, to verify this, that basically China was using Hong Kong as ex, um, additional capacity for like screening and housing people they think might have COVID. Awesome. Because of the awesome. Like great right? job. Thanks, China. Yeah. It's like having a granny flat at the back of your apartment. Everyone in the house is sick. You've got a fucking grandma in the granny flat. You're like, Oh, Nan, do you mind if a bunch of my mates just come over and crash? Like, no, fuck off. Fuck <laughs> off. Right? So everyone in Hong Kong was like, close the fucking borders, close the fucking yep. borders, close the fucking borders. They closed two borders or three borders, which yeah. was like minimal. You could still, the annoying thing is, you could still get around China and then jump into Hong Kong. So yeah. that was really annoying. And then I, I, I was, you know, I think the entire population was really concerned that that porous, you know, colander of a fucking border was going to be everybody's undoing. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the big factors, um, two key factors, I think for Hong Kong people is one SARS is still very fresh in everyone's memory. Yeah. Um, this, this city leadership um, under uh, Tung Chi Wah, I think at the time, his um, minister for health was like a fucking virus expert. Currently, under Carrie Lam, the Minister of Health was like a fucking nurse. <laughs> Not saying that like anything against yeah. nurses, but I'm just saying like there are certain credentials you might want in a situation like this. Yes. Um, 
he um that you know the, the, this uh the gentleman that was tasked with kind of coordinating the response to SARS who also has now worked on COVID you know he set up so many processes for what happens when a city gets you know introduced a, a deadly virus so workplace processes individual safety measures um government you know borders everything like that so SARS was a huge learning curve and everyone kind of knew you know this is not a drill they knew what to do every company the government everyone they you know they had a lot of these processes and measures you know locked and loaded in the barrel for when this stuff kind of happens right um so the other element to that is that recently and you saw this a lot with the protests with a lot of the panic buying in in asia and particularly in hong kong which is hong kong people no longer trust the government right what's happening is the individual Hong Kong resident is becoming self-protective. So this is a reason why, you know, when this virus happened, the Hong Kong people didn't trust the government. So they just want to look after themselves. They're going to go to the shops, going to run on the shops, get the toilet paper, get the food, everything. Right. They're like, we don't, we don't want to take the fucking information from the government at face value. I have kids and I have a grandma, I have a family, whatever. I'm going to do everything I can to protect my family. Knowing exactly how it was during SARS as well. They knew how to be, um, diligent about washing hands and you had to be yeah. diligent about sanitizing the hands and you had to be diligent about wearing masks. They didn't go out, you know, they, they were careful about interacting beyond what was necessary in the day to day. So I believe that the government was not really responsible for the low numbers we see for COVID. Interesting. Not directly, unless you, you, yeah. you say they're responsible because no one fucking trusts them. So everyone you know, right. did what they wanted or could do to protect themselves. So, I think very early on, you know, the Hong Kong people knew what to do. Individually were, you know, in a self-preservation mode. Um, and, you know, have, they're just very diligent people. And, and even, even with, without a deadly virus, if someone catches a cold, they know to stay home. Or if they're moving around, going to work, whatever, they wear a mask. Right. So this, this happens as a part of normal day-to-day life. And they've been yeah. saying this in Vietnam as well. Like Vietnam's a fucking crazy place. People on top of people, on top of chickens, on top of motorcycles. People, you know, live in such close proximity. How did they get away with it? They have a culture of wearing masks. They wear yeah. masks because of pollution. They wear masks yeah. because of fucking exhaust from the scooters. They wear masks because yeah. of sickness. So they know they have this culture of like understanding how viruses spread. And that you know even i i must say i did follow a bit too closely like world health organization and other quote-unquote authorities advice early on saying you know this is really something that spreads by surface contact so a mask um you know is it necessary as much as hand sanitation and washing hands is necessary all that kind of stuff and i must admit i also got caught up in that and i was saying guys you know let's not go crazy with masks one of the valid concerns was though, because they because I do work in supply chain and I was seeing a shortage of masks, like healthcare workers and everything. And I think one of the genuine concerns is that once the population goes out on a self-preservation binge and buys as many masks as possible, you're, um, you're potentially uh, taking away those masks from healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, all that kind of stuff that are on the front line that really fucking yeah. need it. Yeah. But if now, if I knew what I know now that we, you know, the healthcare workers won't get overrun if we actually take early precautions. So I kind of changed my tune for sure. And was a lot more like, no, just wash your hands and make sure you stay away from people. Now I'm like, yeah, fuck a mask up yeah. and wash your hands and stay away from people. You know Isn't that I mean? a song? 
mask hey, on, fucking mask on. By future, I think so. Oh, <laughs> what, what country? Was it Vietnam they made like a rap? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was Vietnam, it, wasn't I mean, it? They made like a whole rap of like, like whole like catchy songs and like as like a public service announcement shit. I could see it. I could definitely yeah. see it. Great. So I, um, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, like Hong Kong really like set the precedent sort of for the rest of the world and like sort of how to be. And I really yeah. like that you pointed out, really, it's not the government. It was the people that came together and was like, you know, we remember this and we don't want to go through this again. So yeah. let's yeah. fucking, yeah, let's self-preserve and yeah. let's get this yeah. together. Yeah. It's for really sure. great. And I, think, and I think for sure, like the, you know, the medical community as well. And I think at least like, if not government, in terms of leadership, government, in terms of civil service and yeah. you know, health ministry and stuff, they did, they, they knew what to do and they did it. And yeah. we got the best of the best. Um, and you actually fact, have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in fact, the guy who dealt with SARS the first time, he wrote a list of um, recommendations for China and Hong Kong. And he was like, one of the things was close wildlife wet markets. A hundred percent. He was pushing like, for that when SARS happened. Right. That goes, that goes to like the next like kind of question. Um, Brock and I are both vegan. We've both been vegan for years. Um, that's, that's sort of like how we bonded. Actually, we never even got into yeah. how we met. We met because yeah. I was running yeah. Green Room, which was a vegan restaurant in Shenzhen and him and his friend, Steph, who's also from Canada. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they they came into my restaurant and we ended up like drinking four bottles of wine and, and, and hanging out at the restaurant like all night. And that, but that was it. We were just like, okay, we're best friends now. And then you yeah. guys came for brunch the next day and that was it. Um, anyway, so going back to being vegan, we, we kind of talked about this yesterday, how, how annoying it is and how frustrating it is right now that all of this is happening, uh, COVID and all this shit and like other huge problems around the world seem to come from eating animals, transporting animals, uh, owning animals that shouldn't be owned. And basically just like the animal, uh, wildlife trade in general, mm. eating, uh, mm. eating of animals, eating of wildlife. Um, so I mean like it's frustrating for us because we don't, participate in that and then we are still affected by that so i mean like what do you think we could have done to sort of avoid this huge covid outbreak in terms of maybe animal eating yeah definitely i think it's like one of the cases where you are as strong as the weakest link right so i think and i think i think this is this is like such a theme i feel in recent years even if you talk about like you know politics you know talk about like the election of trump talking about like you know, the behavior of certain people, it's like, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good things, doing the right things. And then you kind of get in this sort of comfort zone thinking that everyone else is like that. And then, you know, people vote for Trump, people eat fucking pangolins. So hundred percent. You like, you like get reminded every so often that, <laughs> oh no, like just cause I'm doing the right thing doesn't mean we're in the fucking all clear or yeah. all clear. And I think that really does like heighten your sense of, okay, maybe I haven't been doing enough. You know, maybe my, of course, your own personal choices are the biggest impact you can have on this world. But then maybe there's like some more education or more like initiatives you can get involved with or more like education that you can kind of do. Obviously, one of the biggest pushbacks um, that people get is like, that's somebody's culture. Who is you as a white person should tell people what to fucking eat, right? And it's sort of like, okay, then you start you start 
walking into murky territory there, right? Because you're like, okay, so I don't want to have this, like, you know, post-colonial fucking, like... White savior. on your, like, yeah, on your culture, um, holding on to some bygone era of, like, racial superiority. Um, right. But on the other hand, um, objectively, like, living things deserve to fucking live. Yeah, like, don't eat fucking dogs and don't steal dogs from families and take them to the Yulin Dog Festival and murder them. Like, Exactly, right? And it's sort of like, it's this whole it's this whole thing where, like, people in America that eat beef, they eat chicken, they eat pork, they're yeah. like, hey, China, stop eating dogs. It's like, yo, yeah. stop eating fucking pigs, chickens, and fucking cows, right? 100%. People just don't see beyond their own fucking cultural bias. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is frustrating because, you know, SARS was a fucking civic cat, you know, this this COVID thing is like the fucking pangolin that ate a battle with fucking that fucking snake. Right. I like, you know, you got the, like the Middle East respiratory um, virus, which is like from fucking whatever it was, you know, the plague was carried by rats. So it's just right. like the, the, the animal kingdom exists in such a perfect fucking balanced ecosystem. When we come over and fuck it up and like mix yeah. it around, all these things morph and, mer- and, and, and merge and yeah. become you know, fuck use to, to the human yeah. race. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's kind of trying to tell us something, right? A hundred percent. I think one of the scariest things is like the use of antibiotics in um, the livestock industry, animal agriculture, because you're literally desensitizing and, and allowing viruses to become um, resistant to antibiotics. Yeah. And, and some mm-hmm. antibiotics are like the last ones we have that'll work. Yeah. Once, yeah. once they're resistant Tried everything to everything else, one, there yeah. is no antibiotic that fucking works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's like the ultimate fucking super virus that when you get that virus, you go, you get like, you know, antibiotics, you get fucking steroids in the hospital, you get anti-inflammatory, anti-histamine, whatever. Doesn't fucking work. Doesn't fucking work because we've yeah. literally conditioned it to res- like to resist oh, all so about our magical yeah. modern medicine. So it's like, you know, at times like this, you realize like, holy shit, not only can the world not support 7 billion people eating a standard American diet of like, you know, hamburgers and, 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 and breakfast fucking burritos and shit. Yeah. But it's also literally a ticking time bomb in terms of like yeah. the virus that we can, that we can generate from our behaviors. around. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about wet markets and uh, the, the, the cultural differences between like obviously Asia and uh, North America, even Australia. Yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, don't eat dogs, don't eat cats. Like that's so awful. But then of course, yeah, the chickens and pigs and whatever else is fine for you to eat, that's okay. Yeah. So I mean like- pigs, pigs are more intelligent than dogs anyway. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's all very frustrating. So I mean like when, when, even when talking about the virus here, it's really hard not to touch on you know, animal welfare and what's going on in the world in terms of animals. Cause it's like, maybe yeah. this just like wouldn't have happened if you guys aren't out there fucking destroying animals lives. But yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and what, what is also frustrating is people are now going on about a food shortage and it's like, right. no, what you're talking about is a shortage of animal products. The thing exactly. that got us in a fucking situation. Exactly. Exactly. Now is a time to maybe re-examine the way you eat, the way, the way you live your life. I mean, like we're all sort of like stuck. A lot of, I mean, a lot of countries are still closed. Um, so we're all kind of still at home. So maybe like take the time to research how this started, how animal agriculture affects the uh, planet and like how, the, again, like you said, it's completely unsustainable. Like maybe it's time to, to reassess like the way you eat, right? Yeah. Like how much of a fucking clue do you want? 
Right. Yes. Yeah. How, exactly. How much of a fucking clue do you want? We saw anyway. the, the we saw the Amazon get like chopped down. No, nah, that didn't do it. We saw a yeah. super virus come from eating a bat, kill the entire world. No, nah, that didn't do it. Like, what? What, what will? Yeah. What do you want? No, it's 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 very frustrating. Now anyway, you got monkeys. Get, <laughs> yeah. Let's get into cooking. So one of the questions I do have is like. I know that you're a great chef. I know you're a great cook. So like, what have you been cooking at home and what has been your favorite thing to like soothe you? What's your, we have to like favorite panic snack. Yeah. You know what? I, I have been um, experimenting with shallow frying recently. Ooh. And, and you know why I'm shallow frying? Cause I didn't realize how much oil it requires to deep fry something. Yeah. <laughs> So I bought an entire liter of oil. I used it all in the pot and it was barely an inch. So then I was like, oh shit, that's not deep enough. And then apparently there's this thing called shallow frying, which I'm now discovering. Why I've been discovering this is because I made, uh, I I made vegan wings, right? Which, which are super legit. I got the recipe from the gentleman behind Mac talk, who is on the dragon's den in the UK. Look him up. He will make you, he's the most beautiful human being in the world. He like pitched this idea on Dragon's Den for like chili sauces that he made in the style that his mom used to make back in Malaysia. And he's the sweetest kid in the fucking world. He deserves all the best things. And he made this little video on YouTube, which was like how to make vegan wings. Super simple. You get like portobello mushrooms. You Mm -hmm. blend it in a blender. You put like your onion powder, your garlic powder, paprika, a little smoked paprika, blah, 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 blah. A little bit of like Mm -hmm. bouillon. You start mixing that in with flour until it's kind of like a you know, like a little bit of like a cakey texture, and then you roll it up in flour and you chuck it in the deep fryer, and it's legit like crispy on the outsides, like you know chewy in the middle, fried up with a little Thai chili sauce, garnished with a little sesame, and a little spring onion. You know what I mean? Bomb Sounds amazing. Fuck. So and then I was like, oh, what 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 else can I do with like you know submerging shit and boiling hot oil uh, a recipe that i'm going to try over the weekend is calamari made from coconut meat yes fuck yes coconut is like slippery like calamari right yes. very good it's idea kind of like, like it's like you know it's kind of like sticks together but it's also kind of like you know translucent and gloopy yeah so that's gonna be great there's a recipe i found which was like you it's honestly the hardest thing about this recipe is like cutting open the coconut without severing the fucking oh my lord and you need to quite literally like scoop the meat out like without breaking it yeah so you need to like yeah. chop a significant opening into it and then like scoop it out and then you kind of like dice it up marinate yeah. it bread it and then fry it and you get apparently what is super legit calamari awesome so have you have you thought that um, your cooking skills have improved during this time? Because I mean, like you kind of you kind of said that you guys didn't really go into full quarantine. So has yeah. everything stayed open? And well, have you been at work? Yes. So that's an interesting point. It was more social distancing. Okay. Um, I personally didn't leave my little area where I live for like five weeks out of a sense of. Um, the right thing to do, you know, right. a sense of obligation to people with compromised immune systems, to old yeah. people, all that kind of stuff. Um, I personally didn't want to get it, but I feel like I would have felt worse by spreading it, you know, that kind of thing. Also, uh, 
where Brock lives is absolutely gorgeous and it's like on a beach. So I mean like Yeah, exactly. To be honest, when I'm like I stayed in like for five weeks, I could have gone anywhere. I kinda it was really fucking easy to stay at home, to be honest. My supermarket yeah, like- is twenty meters away from my <laughs> apartment. I got a beach fifty meters away. Um yeah. Uh, yeah really i'm definitely very privileged very privileged and you know what from my fucking high tower of privilege i was criticizing every motherfucker who was out like trying to get a bit of fresh air and i was like fucking go home you're fucking you're gonna yeah. fucking spread it to people like a grandma's gonna die <laughs> kill people you should be ashamed of yourself and these are people yeah. that live in like 12 square meter shoebox apartments that literally yeah, just yeah. want to get like a breath of fresh you're air like, fuck like fuck you <laughs> Yeah, cool. <laughs> Ivory Tower Brock slamming all the poor people that are like just yeah. trying to go, like have a breath yeah. of fucking fresh air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was the question? <laughs> the question was like, first of all, since okay, I mean, I guess this doesn't reply to you because I mean, you guys haven't really been quarantined. I asked yeah, you if, yeah, you're, yeah. if you're if your cooking skills have improved because you've been home more. Um, I guess that they have. But also, like you said, they don't. They they haven't closed anything, so it was more like social distancing. So like yeah, restaurants kind of, are still they, open, bars are open, everything is open. Bar for for a brief period, bars were closed. In fact, the um, highly Christian uh, chief executive of Hong Kong, Carrie Lam, she uh, used the opportunity to. Uh, ban alcohol sale at uh, like food and beverage uh, establishments like restaurants and bars under the, the 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 premise that people will fuck more and go be all wild and promiscuous with random people uh, once they drink. Once what? They drink. Yeah. What is she it? Was what like, is- literally, people like it, alcohol encourages promiscuity and people oh, shouldn't be going around. What year is this? Stuff. Yeah, exactly. She's really fucking religious. Um, some people I know that the parents go to the same yoga studio and church as her, and yep. she literally will go to like church, do yoga, and then just go and fucking suck Beijing's dick and kill innocent Hong Kong people. Basically, honestly, she has honestly. no soul. She has no soul. No, um, she's her. Yeah, I totally agree. She's fucked. The whole thing was yeah, like the way she handled the protest, the way she every, she's just she should not be in office anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. So she, she tried to ban drinking and ban like sex. She basically tried to ban sex. Let's let's just cool. like say how it is. She tried to ban sex. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of brief. And then um, you can still go to restaurants and get food um, spaced out. You know, this has got like a 1.5 meter rule and all this kind of stuff. And people are supposed to be, you know, limited to four people in the streets. So we did have like certain strict periods that were very, you know, heavily policed from time to time. Um, but now we're honestly, it's almost back to normal now, except still people are spaced out in restaurants and stuff. Um, right. but yeah, you can still go to the gym now, you can eat out, you can drink. Do you, so I know I've noticed like, um, throughout the world and like a girlfriend of mine from my first episode was saying that when they are going into uh, restaurants, it, her place was Berlin, but around the world, people are wearing masks as soon as they walk in. And then even I've noticed in Bangkok, there's separation between yes. every diner is is that yeah. happening in hong yeah. kong yeah each table have got like perspex screens dividing up um you know it's, it's yeah it, it is like that um you know a lot of restaurants quite strict you got to walk in with the masks you only take it off when you eat once you finish eating you gotta put it back on that type of stuff um for sure that's happening um so it does you know it's like real life but with weird things with quirks yeah. but to be honest compared to a couple months ago it feels like feels like normal almost 
Oh, that's awesome. Now we're just getting tea gas to shit again. Right. Yeah. So like the whole Corona thing is like quiet down back to tear gas. Basically Corona for Hong Kong was a fucking holiday from tear gas. Oh my God. How fucked is that? Yeah. How that was like that? chillest period of time. The chillest period of time. Yeah. Everyone was chill as fuck. We only had like four people die. Wait, pretty uh, sure like pretty sure tons of unexplained deaths have happened during the protests. I'm sure they have. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like, the borders at Hong Kong have been closed for quite a long time, right? Uh, there's yeah. no flights in or out? Unless you're a resident, like a permanent resident. Yeah. So resident. when they do open up again, where's the first place you want to travel to? Probably Bali, because I'm a basic bitch. Yes. Get those smoothie bowls. Mate, like, <laughs> it's just, it, it is a little bit like Australia's backyard, you know? Yeah. And it's full of full of a bunch of Australian dickheads. <laughs> but if you just like cherry pick the nice places where Australian dickheads wouldn't enjoy going, like little vegan cafes and shit. Yeah. Um, and it's fucking beautiful. You know, you just, you just yeah. try and close your eyes every time a scooter goes by with a Bintang t-shirt and a white guy flip-flops on it. You know what I mean? Right. Whatever. He'll fall off and scratch his fucking back up anyway. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no, Bali is like one of my favorite places too. I can't wait to go back um it's been really weird because i mean like i just got back in september to canada after mm. living you know 10 years in asia and then all of this shit hit and i was like holy fuck i could have been totally stuck in thailand like i was living in Koh Tao, a very small island i totally could have been stuck there if like, i didn't ha- if i didn't come home in september let's say um i waited till december right and like that's when all of the stuff was like really hitting the fan in china i would have yeah. been stuck there with two cats two chinese cats probably not allowed to travel and i would have been like they can't in- speak thai no they can't speak thai <laughs> exactly <laughs> They would have been lost and confused. Right, exactly. So, yeah, tra- like the, the no travel thing has really like affected me, and I'm sure the same as like a lot of other people, but um, it's more exasperated with, with us because uh, we are such travelers, and I am such a person that has been like able to get up and go and go here and go there. And so, yeah, yeah that's, that's also like really affected me. The fact that we can't even travel um, from Canada to, to even America right now is like that's yeah, wild. It is yeah. wild. It is wild. And I kind of, I'm a little bit jealous, I would say, even though Hong Kong has obviously been so diligent with the way it's controlled and, and minimized the impact of this virus. It's such a tiny, tiny city, really. Just, you know, the actual, the land mass of Hong Kong itself is tiny. I'm very yeah. jealous of people like in Australia now that it's getting a bit more relaxed. They can go for a fucking yeah. seven hour drive. You know what I mean? Yeah. In Canada and the state, you can you just kind of fucking road just point the car in a direction, just fucking go. That like freedom, that feeling of freedom is like very uh yeah noticeable. Yeah. And I've also <laughs> noticed that <laughs> I've also noticed that from that uh, from from being back home, because I'm like, damn, when I live in China, when I live in Asia, it's just like so tiny, such a close area. And now I'm like open spaces, big houses, like backyards and front oh, yards. I'm like, I can be quarantine here for a while. Exactly. Um, so before we wrap this up, because I think we're almost reaching an hour here, um, I have a couple more questions. So um, we talked about travel and where you want to travel next. How do you think travel is going to change um, after COVID? Yeah. So I think like two things, like one, there'll be some people that have been lucky enough to maintain jobs during this period of time that may have saved up a little bit of money and they're going to be like rearing to get the fuck out of here. 
a lot of the airlines have been, you know, subsidized by the government or been told to like keep and retain staff. So I think there'll be like some capacity to fly people around. Um, I think on the other hand, there'll be a lot of people that are out of jobs, you know, struggling um, with their own situation, obviously won't be in a position to go on holidays. Um, so you might see like a certain uh, reflex, you know, a, a, a certain return of like tourism, you know, more than more than we had before for some people, but then maybe not for less, but not for, uh, less for others. I think yeah. like tourist destinations, there'll be a huge push for countries like Italy and like um, and 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 hard hit places economically to be like, please, 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 fucking come here, yeah. um, because their economics economies are literally on their last legs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a, like Thailand, a lot of Southeast Asian countries who rely on tourism a lot are desperate desperate for people yeah. um i think it's gonna be really fucking interesting i mean i don't know if it's you know i heard that countries want to start opening up at airports as early as like june july august and then you know kicking off the tourism industries beyond august and it's sort of like i don't know if that's gonna just absolutely fire this virus up to no end to i think no so. end. it's too early i think it's definitely too early and i think um what it really shows is that our economy being based on the model of infinite growth is fundamentally flawed. You know yes. what I mean? For, for us all to just like sit at home and just be normal for once, for that to cripple the economy is fucked. A hundred percent. For us to 100%. just be, to exist, just to be with family, just to like, you know, cover the basic essentials, just to exist as a fucking human being on this fucking planet, just concentrating on what matters family, friends, loving, laughing, living, eating, cooking, smoking. Yeah. That shit cripples the economy. This is fucking wrong, guys. Like, exactly. this is wrong. Consumerism 100%. has become cancer. Yes. And that kind of goes into my next point, um, talking about mental health and, like, how hard it's been on a lot of people. Um, what's, what's been your secret uh, dealing with this, you know, impending doom? That's yeah, outside. I well, I gotta admit, like for five weeks, I kind of hold myself up and did a massive fucking Howard Hughes, and just like, just closed off, like completely, kind of hibernated, right? Yeah. Kept kept busy with work. Luckily, at least, just working from from home. But like, I I pretty much I didn't see some friends for like five weeks. I saw two people in five week period of time, yeah. and. And that wasn't because I needed to. That was because I was, like, unplugging because I just felt uncomfortable with, like, what was happening in the world, what was happening in the city, what was happening with government information, not being able to trust the government. And just, I think, like, a lot of Hong Kong people, just self-preservation. And I just yeah. withdrew. I withdrew. And I think now I'm kind of re-engaging a little bit, but I do, I kind of only now, for some reason, actually feel the anxiety rising. Mm, interesting. And I don't know if that's because I fundamentally think that everything's getting back to normal a bit too quickly and still those same issues and, and concerns and anxieties yeah. are still there, but we're pretending yeah. like not. So there's a kind of cognitive dissonance at play. Yeah. And I think that's like genuinely making me feel uneasy, like irrationally anxious. Yeah. So, I mean, like, how are you dealing with that? Like, what's your secret to sort of like, keep your mental health intact because I mean lots of people are not only isolated but also you know 
feeling, yeah, again, anxious, scared, or whatever. And so, like, it's really easy to to retreat. But I mean, like, yeah. you you need to talk it through. So I mean, like, what's your secret? What? How are you keeping sane? Um, I would say like socializing has been good, but it's been a little bit of a challenge to not rely on the crutch of like drugs and alcohol, right? Um, I mean, my drug of choice is alcohol, which is the worst one. Um, makes me feel more anxious when I'm hungover, so I drink more. So there's a pattern there that, I, that I'm trying to stay away from. So now I'm socializing. I'm really trying to be more strict about not drinking. Um, I find when I'm alone now, I do like have that echo chamber of thoughts that, 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 that kind of trigger my anxiety. And so when I'm with people and around people, I feel better, but I just need to be very conscious not to fucking drink to make that anxiety go away. So I'm trying to like eat better. I'm trying to get back in the gym. I'm trying to work out in the morning because I find working out in the evening kind of riles me up a little bit. Can't sleep, feel like shit. I think like what is really important as well is like making sure our immune systems are on point. So like, I'm trying to, I've always been an evening workout person. So now I'm trying to go in the morning, you know, maybe like sleep a bit earlier, get a bit more sleep, try to be a bit more routined. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's definitely not hundred percent working. There's still this like buzz of anxiety, which I can't quite shake completely, but I know if I at least follow that routine, socialize with good friends in a meaningful way that doesn't involve like abusing fucking alcohol, um, getting my fucking jogging in, getting my, races crossfit in um all that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah absolutely no i noticed um over the past couple of years i've definitely noticed you have gotten more into fitness i mean you were all yeah. th always a healthy person being being vegan but um yeah i think it was about 2018 that you were like you know fuck this i'm gonna get in shape and like since then you've like definitely made such like a great fitness journey and i just want to commend you on that and like congratulations oh, really really good it's really actually motivating for for other people as well for, for me especially because i mean like yeah. um i i didn't i viewed you as a person you know much like me like drinking smoking chilling oh, um not sure. so much like changing I your life. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah of course you do um uh never so much as a person that was like really into fitness and then you change that mm -hmm. and it really like it helped me and i've gotten into fitness as well and i definitely think it, it it's absolutely saved me in this like quarantine time uh every oh, morning yeah. i work out with my mom and we go for a walk we eat well and like that's really been helping so i definitely agree that um keeping your mental health intact uh, by being healthy and mm -hmm. and like prioritizing yourself i think that's definitely like super 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 important yeah yeah absolutely and i think i think it's fun at this point to explore different types of fitness because okay maybe we can't get to the gym or even now like the classes are filling up so quickly and all this kind of stuff um you know gyms are trying to still be a little bit cautious about that and it's like fuck you know you got a floor you got a wall you got a gym you know yeah 100 like, percent. yeah i work out in my basement <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think like before this, everyone was like all the hype about fucking, you know, gym memberships, exercise equipment, yeah, different man. like, you know, strongman, crossfit, strength conditioning, yeah. blah, 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 like weightlifting. And it's sort of like at the end of the day, you can achieve so much just by having a room and a roof over your head and like yeah. do a bunch of burpees, do a bunch of sit-ups, do a bunch of air squats. If you yeah. get the volume in, that shit kills. That shit <laughs> yeah. fucking kills. I did yeah. fucking fuck hundred air squats the other day i couldn't walk for two days good job so it's like, you just fucking you just get it done you know what i mean i find Absolutely. like what is okay I'll, I'll admit one thing i've been looking at a lot is like fucking how prisoners work out God, right yeah 
Great. Prisoners do a shitload of burpees. Like that's something I've learned. You know, they just get it, and and you kind of have to like put yourself into a routine, even if you're working from home, yes. working on a laptop. You know, just fucking put the put put a little bit of time aside. Like sometimes those days you feel a little bit shit. Just go on fucking IG, find some influencer, and just for shits and giggles, be like, oh, I'll try this little workout. You know what yeah. I mean? And after 15 minutes, you're like pumped. You're like, all right, let's fucking do this. So yeah, you just got to like inspire yourself. Keep it fun. Keep it fun. Keep it fun. Keep Absolutely. Fun. Yeah. And it's really, it's really shown us um, how much can really be done from home in terms of mm. work, in terms of like maybe schooling for kids. Uh, you know, that's going to be quite frustrating, but that, that's also available. And um, right. my mom was on the phone with her doctor the other day and he was like, it's really crazy to know how much doctoring I can do online. And working out uh, at home. So, I mean, like, again, it goes back to what you were saying about, like, if all of us staying at home and taking care of ourselves and, you know, yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, If all of that causes the economy to crash, like, there's something fucking wrong. Like, we have to, there has to be a new subversive act that we can fucking do that puts a fucking silver bullet in everything, then, like, that part. Exactly. So what do you think the new normal is going to look like? Do you think this is the end of capitalism or what's going on? Um, I think everything's going to go back to exactly how it was before. A hundred percent. I mean, like, I think, I think like the, the companies that are failing right now, are all the, the fashion uh, and apparel retailers. So mm-hmm. like JC has gone for bankruptcy, Athena group, uh, uh, fucking, um, like, uh, anything that's related to like, apparel fashion textiles that kind of stuff mm-hmm. the companies are dying yeah um they're all like left right and center dropping like flies but what is picking up is like home decor and like general merchandise and that type of stuff so yep. like the walmart's of this world they map consumer behavior and they'll only buy successful product categories yep. so these big box retailers they're going to stay in fucking business you know and oh, they're yeah. just going to be selling gym equipment and healthy stuff instead of like fashion and stuff that doesn't you know yeah they're just going to switch their gears from yep. selling us something that we don't need to selling us something else that we don't need <laughs> yeah yeah but that right. made our little quarantine better because you know i'm not looking at a blank wall i've got now a vase and a fake plant and a painting exactly yeah so i think like i think the the old ways will still stick around um but i think like for me, the heartbreaking thing is I look around, I see how nice the environment is. I see how clear the water is. I see like, you know, fucking animals that are like, you know, didn't see a long time ago. I went on a hike. I saw like a fucking leopard cat, which is a super rare cat that exists in Hong Kong. It looks like a mini leopard. It was wild. And I'm like, how can we keep this? Like I would give up everything to keep this experience of clean air, dolphins, leopard cats. How can we fucking hang on to that? And I, I feel like as soon as as soon as planes start taking off again, as people start getting bussed and Ubered around different countries and consuming and like blah blah, blah it's like goodbye. You know. Yeah, it's really that was yeah. nice. A nice thing we could have. Exactly. It's been eye-opening, but at the same time, it's almost like, okay, we're eyes are open, and then but like we're going to be ready to to close them as soon as the vaccine is available. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Are, think, you, yeah. are you into, are you into vaccines? Like, are you going to take it if, uh, if, well, when one becomes available in Hong Kong? Um, I haven't really read about the, the COVID vaccines. Um, I don't know how it works. Um, 
I mean, I, I understand the basic premise of like inoculation, but <laughs> I don't know like what 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 this what what might be and whether it's going to be effective or worth doing. Um, you know, I had like the flu shot in itself is supposed to be quite effective to like quite a few strains of um, right of, of, of the flu, um, but I don't know. I mean, yes, if it's necessary, if it stops you know immunosuppressed people from dying that's good but then on the other hand that shouldn't be the end all of solutions you know we start going to be thinking like okay let's let's also think about how to not let another fucking super virus happen you know let's look at antibiotics and livestock let's look at the handling of animals and the trafficking of wildlife let's look at like all these other things that kind of that whole band-aid thing in the western world is just like keeps the cogs rolling it's a patch and it's sort of like we kind of need to do everything else before that patch as well. Um, yeah. You know, if we fix the entire fucking planet, we all become vegans tomorrow and we stop the wildlife trade and then we get a super virus. I'm like, yeah, now let's fucking inject everyone. Cause that sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because we've done everything else. Right. So like, what the we've fuck? done everything else. So yeah, like, yeah, let's fucking, like, let's use science in as, in as many ways as we know it's effective, but let's absolutely. not fucking rely on it. Let's not fucking yeah. rely on it. Uh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I couldn't, yeah, I fucking agree. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a bandaid and it's, it is scary because I mean, it's great. And I think obviously the, the answer is the vaccine and like, that's how things can start returning back to normal, but it is not the yeah. beyond and all. And we need to think about why this happened and how to stop it from yeah. happening again. Cause it's going to happen again. Cause I mean, like, yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, this, this, this COVID virus it is like a, a five year reoccurring thing. So, I mean, like it was, it was SARS before it, it and then um, the swine flu and now it, now it's this, and then there's going to be COVID 20. So I mean like in yeah. five fucking years from now, we have to be, ready for this to happen again and and why is it happening yeah 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 exactly exactly so i think that's um that's where we should sort of like focus our our efforts for a solution yeah absolutely so my last question to end this amazing hour and a half that we've been chatting um (laughs) oops (laughs) <laughs> no, it's okay. It's it's good. The quarantine cocktail hour. I try to keep it under two hours, so we're good to go. Sure. Okay. 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 <laughs> so the last question I have for you: um, mm. Do you have any advice or one piece of advice you could give us socially isolated babes around the world? In general. Yeah. Just like, what kind of advice can you give the world? What's going on? I would say, use this time to start getting educated on topics that will be meaningful outside of this fucking epidemic because you got the time, you got the resources, you got the freedom, the internet, you know, we're living in countries that have access to all the fucking information. Let's use it. Let's get behind shit. You know, let's, let's, let's start thinking about, I think what we really need. And I think what is going to give our kind of generations meaning is if we can fucking make a new model out of what we've seen now as a necessity for change. And we don't want to be in this situation again. We can't afford to be in this situation again. We're young people losing the fucking best years of our lives being stuck inside because some cunt ate a bat. (laughs) So it's like, at this point, we're all indoors. Let's fucking research what is going on. Like, what are alternative economic models? What are alternative models of business? What are alternative models of consumption? What technologies exist that we could maybe fucking crowdfund and get behind and push? You know what I mean? Like, let's fucking, yes. let's take the fucking 10 minutes a day that we might just be like sitting on the toilet to have a quick Google. Like, you know, is yeah. this the best system? And like, what, what, what can we, you know, 
even like I I don't I don't sort of see people like banding together you know anymore in the way that people used to like okay sure we don't want another Bolshevik revolution and a bunch of fucking crazy cunts making another communist revolution but hey they all got together and they fucking you know made change right so it's like where is that now where where are these where are these thinkers where are these students where are these young people where are these adults where are these fucking boomers if they want to get involved thinking like this shit sucks what could we do better and so what I personally reckon is everyone should research the resource-based economy where money doesn't exist anymore and we use technology to replace labor, we use solar power and automation, and then we produce food that is free for everyone and we can all become artists, painters, fucking singers, and just fuck it all day and eat. That sounds wonderful. And what a great note to uh, leave on. Let's just fucking eat. Let's just fuck and eat and fucking eat. I love it. It was so wonderful to talk to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening. Um, And yeah, stay safe out there. Wear your mask. Fucking fucking eat. Fucking eat. Fucking eat. Thank you, Stephalicious. Talk is true.